0: Woo! I'm a little high. Good morning, everybody. Gonna turn me down just a little bit. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right. Praise the Lord. It's good to worship, isn't it? Amen. Amen. All right. So I get the uh, the pleasure of doing a, a few different things this morning. Uh, giving us our announcements and receiving our tithe and offering and then uh, getting into uh, to the word this morning. So uh, we have our entrance into fall of uh, 2020 and I, one of the reasons I get to do all this stuff this morning is uh, last week I didn't preach and uh, we had a, a great message from, from uh, Gary, <laughs> amen. So whenever I don't get to preach, I have all these extra words I wanna share. So I get <laughs> announcements and offering this morning, but fall of 2020, uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm excited for fall. I'm, I'm excited for a change of season. I'm excited for it not to be 110 degrees everywhere. Um, but our focus, you know, we've been praying and, and trying to consider what is it that God is saying and what is it that we need to be doing and focusing on for the fall. And we've, uh, we've decided that we wanna focus on community, and we want to focus on unity. Amen? Amen. Say unity. unity. All right. So we really feel that the Lord's been speaking to our leadership uh, about this. The fall usually and normally, thank you, uh, means retreat and getting colder. It means uh, the, the change in our clock. So we're going to have an earlier sunset. Uh, usually the focus begins to get on self, right? And we begin to focus on our own families and just kind of like almost like hibernating, getting ready for the winter. And we'll get back to all that unity and family and community stuff, you know, in the, in the new year. But if there's one thing that's for sure in 2020 is that nothing is normal. And I don't think that fall should be normal uh, in that way either. I feel like the Lord really is up to something. I think it's going to be the opposite for us during this fall. You know, as the world, uh, maybe doing what they normally do during fall and as the world gets more and more divided uh, as you guys can see if you're just alive and paying attention right now I feel like the, ch- the church can actually, um, instead of retreating, it can actually press in and engage and instead of getting more divided and isolated we feel like during this fall we can become more united I think that that is the best way, even as, as Sandra prayed for us this morning She said, let us be a light, let us shine the light of Jesus. I I don't think there's a more powerful way we can shine that light during this fall than to display unity and to display love and to show community uh, in this time. So even last Friday night, you know that we haven't been gathering and doing most of the things that we normally do in person. But um, a week ago from Friday, we had our first in-person, back-in-the-sanctuary prayer service, and uh, we were missing that so much. Um, So those of you that were able to attend, I know the the message went out a little bit late, But we just felt the presence of the lord it was like the lord was confirming to us that we need to be gathering we need to be praying we need to be uh headed in this particular direction so we just feel good about what god has for us for the fall so what are some of those things here are the announcements one of the things is that life groups are going to be reignited this fall amen so that's an exciting thing You know we're preparing for 2021 when we get to the new year we will get back into full swing full go every uh wednesday night uh we'll be doing life groups again however uh for the next three months we're just going to meet once a month and our hope and our prayer is that people will begin to gather again get comfortable with coming out again being in homes again and just fellowshipping so trying to get that ball rolling again over the next three months so obviously we'll look at, at all the safety precautions and, and pray for each other the same way we've done with the church coming back to, to gathering. But um, if you're taking notes or if you can look in your calendar, it'll be Wednesday, October 14th. So not this week, but the following week, uh, Wednesday, November 11th, and Wednesday, December 9th. So we'll be far enough away from the holidays, but it'll be a good chance for us to fellowship. And uh, uh, many of us really miss our life groups and what God had begun to do there. So those will be coming back. We're also gonna be having in-person meetings for our women's fellowship and our men's fellowship. Amen, for the first time. So again, the women will be here starting off. uh, This Tuesday night will be their first time back, amen. So that is this Tuesday the 6th, seven o'clock here at the building. I I think you guys are gonna be blessed by the speaker and blessed by the message that that you guys are gonna have for the women. Uh, And then the men will be getting together somewhere uh, for the first time in a long time the following Tuesday which is the 13th, amen? So seven o'clock, men, be prepared for that. And uh, I know it's been a while, so this Tuesday, men, do whatever you have to do. Take care of the kids, rub your wife's feet, whatever you gotta do to encourage her uh, to get out there and fellowship with the women and to be able to enjoy herself. And likewise, a week from then, let's get the men together, amen? Amen. Uh, Last couple of announcements. We have our youth and our young adults have begun to gather already. Uh, We've made a a ship where our young adults are meeting on Friday, and that's going very well. We're seeing a lot of them come out, whereas Wednesday may have been a little bit more difficult. But again, community fellowship. Uh, You guys remember what it was like to be young, where you wanted to stay out all night, so we want to give them the Friday night to do that. Us old people, 8.30, I'm ready to go to bed. (laughs) But they can hang out all Friday night. So pray for the youth, pray for the young adults, Uh, just seeing what God has been doing there is uh is really good i think the last announcement is our harvest party for our kids let's give it up for our children's church so they need stuff to do and they need to be excited so uh sunday the 25th i believe it is after service just like every other year we'll be outside doing trunk or treat and the kids will have their costumes on and they'll invite their friends and it'll be a time to uh to again community fellowship enjoy one another have some food and and hang out so uh it looks like we're going to be shaping up to have a good fall amen 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 all right so community unity uh let's look at our time let's look at our offering through that same lens this morning as we look at all the things that we're hoping God continues to do I want to share from Romans chapter 15 uh, from verse 24 Paul says for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Akai to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So good, right? Paul says to the Romans that I'm hoping to be helped by you. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He says, I need help and I expect you. And I'm hoping that you would be able to help me on my journey. But he says, first, I want to enjoy your company for a while. (laughs) I don't just need your resources. I don't just need your support. I don't just want your help. I want fellowship. I want community. You know, that fellowship and community should lead to release and lead us to want to resource and to help people. Somebody say amen. Amen right? You have these friendships. You have these relationships. Many of us began to see that in our life groups where it was no longer uh, maybe the, the church as a whole saying this person has a need. Through the fellowship, through the community and dining together, people began to meet each other's needs and know in advance when somebody had a need. Paul says that it pleased those. He's talking to the Romans, but he tells them about Macedonia and Achaia, and he says it pleased them actually to contribute financially to the work and to support the poor, that were in jerusalem it wasn't even for their local community of believers they were saying listen there's a need in the global church and we want you to invest into it. and he says that they were pleased to do that and then the last thing i want to point out to you here is that i love that paul does this he does it several times throughout the scriptures he makes this connection he says listen if you're receiving something spiritual it should not be surprising to you that you need to invest in the material Paul says to these, about these believers who are in Achaia and Macedonia, he says, they recognize that they're receiving spiritually from the saints who are in Jerusalem, even though those saints are suffering, and then materially they're going to resource them and to help them and bless them. And I began to think about how the church is today. Not just our church, but I think all churches. I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves, and it's a, it's a connection that we need to consistently make. If you are receiving here, you should be giving here if you're receiving spiritually, if God is ministering to you, if you're entering into worship, if you're receiving in our courses, if your kids are being taught, if you're um, taking part in what God is doing through evangelism and sidewalk sanctuary here, it should not be surprising to us that God expects us to contribute. Say amen. amen. You can say it hurts, I don't like it, but it's okay. God's good, it's not, it's not my word, I think it's, it's his word where he says, Listen, if you're receiving spiritually, we need to contribute materially. So God knows that sometimes we don't like these things, and God knows that sometimes, especially early on in our walk with him, these things are hard to understand and hard to digest. So instead of saying, you know, when you figure this out, um, go ahead and do it, he just makes it a commandment. He just says, you're going to do what I tell you to do because you're my sons and my daughters. And uh, it's proven to be fruitful, to be obedient. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray over the fall we're going to pray over the service this morning and we're going to pray uh over the resourcing and the contributions that are coming in amen amen Amen. Amen. lord we thank you for another opportunity to come into your house we thank you lord that when uh we were longing for community when we were longing to gather lord when we were longing for a physical touch and being in the presence not only of you but of our brothers and sisters lord you've made a way when many of us thought there might not be a way lord god We thank you that you believe in community, Lord God, that you are the triune Savior and Father and Spirit, Lord. We thank you that you're our greatest example, Lord. Help us this morning to receive your word. Help us this morning, Lord, to to have those seeds of community and unity planted deep within the fertile soil of our hearts, Lord. And over these three months, over this season, Lord, would you help us to water it and tend to it that it would truly bear the fruit that you've promised to us, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to contribute to the work that you're doing, Lord. Remind us, call to our remembrance, Lord, the ways that we are receiving spiritually here in this place, Lord God, the ways that we are receiving from your spirit, Lord, as you minister to us and help us and encourage us and challenge us and convict us, Lord. Forgive us and extend grace to us, Lord God, and let us contribute from that place of gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord. Just have your hand upon this series, have your hand upon this word this morning, Upon your sons and daughters. Give us ears that can hear and eyes that can see in this place. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So we're kicking off our fall series um, with a journey through Philippians. Through Philippians. And uh some of you probably got a notification uh in your app, or you maybe saw it online that we're gonna be going into Philippians, and like I said, we've been talking about it and thinking about it and praying. You know, what would God have us to do? Uh, So, we really feel, I really feel that uh, we're going to learn a lot, we're going to grow a lot, we're going to be challenged a lot, which I think is what God always does with His Word. So, what I want to do this morning, though, is kind of give us a bit of an introduction, kind of paint the picture for some of the things that we're going to be talking about, and uh, prepare us for for the book of Philippians. So, I want to touch on some of our goals and our hopes for the series, and I think um they definitely line up with what our goals are here as the way this idea of community and unity during the fall so one of the first goals and one of the first things i want you guys to be thinking about and that we i believe that we're going to see is the church as community right the church is primarily connected physically right we see each other every week and we have these rhythms of worshiping together and talking to one another caring for one another praying together That's one of the reasons why when we went through this season of COVID, the church really struggled because it's one of the primary ways that God uses um, um, just his his design is for us to be in physical community with one another. Another reason why we're so excited to get back to to life groups. But there's also times where the community is called to be separated or at a distance, and we should still be able to be effective um, and powerful during those seasons. So I think we're going to see that the church as community. We're going to look at Uh, the churches in Philippi, how Paul and Epaphroditus were sometimes there and at other times they were distant and writing letters like the book of Philippians. So think community. Another goal or some, another area that we're going to focus on is uh, this idea of suffering does not always mean the absence of joy. I think it's easy for us. I remember being in a life group over a year ago and somebody was asking about joy. I forgot what book we were studying And we're trying to describe what what joy is. And we're explaining how joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is something that sometimes you have and at other times you don't have. uh, Joy is a state of being. You are in this place of joy. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can have joy. And this is something that the Lord um, offers to us. And he calls us to live in that place. That place of joy. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that as we go through this series another one is unity unity is not uniformity where all believers look and talk and live exactly the same right we're not trying to make cookie cutter christians here we're not trying to go through series that make us all look the same and think the same and act the same that's not what unity is that's uniformity right that's not god's design if you just look around the world you know that he wants diversity he wants things to look different and operate different speak different think differently right so um but God does expect there to be unity through diversity. Not the kind of diversity that causes division, but a diversity that leads to unity. So I think we're going to see that in the book of Philippians. And we're going to be able to look around and, and ask ourselves, do we see that in our own relationships? Do we see that as a church? All right. Unity through diversity. A couple more. Sacrifice and generosity. You know, in the Old, Test- in the Old Testament, you had uh, circumcision. Circumcision. And circumcision identified you as part of the children of God right culturally and and uh, ethnically people may have looked the same but they would understand that those who are circumcised are the children of God the seed of Abraham and this was this mark upon them in the New Testament there are many ways that Christians are identified but you'd be hard-pressed to find um, one more clear than this idea of sacrifice and generosity if you think about Jesus I mean sacrifice generosity flowing out of the man. Amen? Amen? So I think we're going to see some of that in our series. And the last one is vision and purpose. Some of our goals, some of the things that we want to see. Uh, having a clear and corporate collective vision um, allows for that diversity to flourish. Right? If you don't have a vision, if you don't have a direction, if you don't have purpose of what is it that God wants to do in your church, what is it that God wants to do in your family, then all of that diversity. Uh, Uh, can, can shoot you off in all these different directions. But if you understand like, hey, this is where we're all trying to go. This is exactly where God is trying to take us as a body. Then that diversity can flourish. Right. And it allows joy to be constant. When you understand what God is doing, you're not so concerned with, hey, I'm in a season where I'm not very happy. You understand I can still have joy because God's given us a vision. God has given us purpose. Right. We can we can deal with the change of seasons. And then I think vision and purpose also binds the community together, kind of like interlocking pieces, gives us strength and gives us stability. Right? When you're bound to one another. We have, a, we have a common goal. We have a common vision. We have a common purpose. We're not just coming together on, on Sundays and being close to one another and then going on with our lives. No, this vision, all right, this purpose, God interlocks us where we're, we're connected spiritually no matter where we are throughout the week. So those are some of the goals. Those are some of the things, some of the the big ideas I think that we're going to see and uh, that I hope take root in our in our hearts. So let's get started. I want to talk a little bit about Philippi. Uh, I want to give us some background, some context. I want to look at how the church seems to actually have been started. So I got a a couple of pictures for you guys, just a little bit of the city. You guys can look it up yourself. Let's let's do the uh, the map. So we can see where it actually is here. All right. So in the middle of the screen, at the very top, under Macedonia, it says Philippi. If you come down to the bottom right corner, you see Israel, you see Jerusalem, right? So you would come up uh, through Asia uh, and across into Philippi. On the far left here, you've got Rome, you've got Italy, right? So it's kind of in the center uh, of the world at the time, of the Roman Empire. We'll get into uh, to some of that, right? And Rome at this time, you can leave that one up for a minute um rome at this time is the center of the world right? most powerful nation they kind of rule everything we'll come back to this go to the next couple just a couple pictures of, of philippi you can see uh the ruins have been found so when we read through the scriptures and they talk about being in the marketplace they talk about being in the city and they talk about being tried any of those kind of things you can think back these ruins have been found next one is just a the theater so you can imagine um uh, whether it's communicating to the, to the population or somebody being on trial, whatever it is, these are uh, ruins from that time that have been found. Let's go back to the map and leave that up there so we can, we can see a little bit as we go forward. All right, so Philippi, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony since 41 BC. That's 40 years or so before the birth of Christ, right? Long before he's born, the city was colonized. The people who lived there were Roman citizens, right? Even though they come from the Greek world, that was a big deal. That means that they, un, they were under Roman laws. Uh, it means that they had rights as Roman citizens that other places in the world didn't have. It means that they had military protection. It was a significant location. How many of you have heard the story that all roads lead to Rome? Anybody heard that before? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the reason is because at this time literally all roads led to Rome. It was the center of the world where everything came out of and everything was working its way back to. One of those major roads was called the Ignatian Way or Via Ignatia. It ran from Asia in the bottom down here up through Asia Minor into and across Philippi and then over to trying to get to Rome. And this major road It went directly through Philippi. So the idea is when you're thinking about this city, it's not only um, a major port city, right, where the ships can come in and trade is taking place, very significant in the Roman Empire, but it's also a land road where people can literally get from all the way down in Jerusalem across Greece and then very close to a short boat ride around uh, to Rome. So think about the culture. Think about the people who are coming through this place. Think about the money in this place. Um... uh, Uh, just how significant it was to the Roman Empire, right? So Paul is bringing the gospel to Philippi around the year 50 AD, right? So think about maybe 15 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul got saved shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's not an immediate thing. God God has come. God has been crucified, resurrected. Paul gets saved. And then 15 years later... Uh, Paul goes into and brings the gospel into the city of Philippi. All right. So what took Paul so long? In the early years of his faith, Paul was ministering locally around the area that he got saved. Um, Paul spent some time in the desert, went back to Damascus. He's ministering locally. Um, he's being discipled and he is growing in the things of God. God is speaking to him. We know the scripture where, where Jesus himself knocks Paul off of a horse. That's a pretty amazing way to get saved and be discipled. But uh, I want to read to you guys from Galatians talking about Paul during this season. I'm going to read chapter one and then a little uh, verse 15, a little bit of chapter two. Galatians 1:15 says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. This is Paul talking and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Chapter two, verse one. Then after 14 years, say 14. 14. Stay with me. Say 14. 14. Paul says, then after 14 years, I, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who have reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Jump down to verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and that they the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Right, so this is Paul's story, and it's a, it's a great story. When we read through the scriptures and we have all these things that, that by the Spirit Paul has given to us, sometimes we forget that when he got saved, he went into the desert by himself and spent time with God, listening to God. He went back to where he was from and began to minister in that local community where he would have been isolated and judged and seen as a traitor. Then he took 14 years and went up to, or excuse me, then he went after three years of being saved, he went up to Jerusalem and he sees Peter, and he, and he uh, just, for the first time, is, is able to go to Jerusalem and be with the leaders of the church. Goes back, begins to minister for another 14 years. 17 years he's doing ministry. 17 years he's working locally. And before he decides that he's going to go out and minister and evangelize, he goes back to get this kind of um, blessing upon him. Peter, James, and John are still there. They lay their hands on him and they say, go. Go. 17 years or so after the death and resurrection of jesus now paul's ready to go out on these missionary journeys we've got to be developed we've got to grow we've got to seek the lord right we need we need authority even over us we need prayer we need this release and paul being as amazing as he is he comes underneath those things and they tell him look the same gift that peter has for the jews you have for the gentiles just don't forget the poor don't go out there ministering and having church and doing all this stuff and then look at people who are hungry and hurting and broken and not care for them. And Paul says, man, that's exactly what I want to do. The Spirit of God leads him, right? All right, so now we, now we have this picture Paul takes off and you can see from the map, we know the scriptures of all these different cities that he's going to and eventually he's going to get to, to, uh, to Philippi. The book of Philippians is written around 60 AD, which means Paul gets this blessing after 17 years and he goes out and the book isn't written until 10 years later. So he goes into these cities, he evangelizes, he ministers, and then at some later date, he actually writes these things that we're going to be reading after the church has been planted, after the church has grown and gone through some things like every other church has, right? Paul's writing, you can tell when we get into this, this book, you're going to see him saying things he'll start a book you know say to to the bishops and to the deacons the bishops are the pastors the deacons are the leaders right so this isn't a church that's just starting it's growing and it's maturing and all these churches are growing all these churches are maturing when Paul is sending these letters that we have no longer baby churches but growing churches right? so Paul's seasoned the churches are growing and when Paul actually writes this letter the book of the philippians uh, this letter to the philippians um, he's towards the end of his life he's in prison in rome over there in rome and uh, he's actually going to be martyred he's going to be killed uh, shortly after this this letter is sent out so it gives a little bit of context i hope that paints a little bit better picture for you of how significant this book is what had to happen for this church to even exist um, and then the kind of letter that he's writing, a lot of people say that they think that the, the church in Philippi was Paul's favorite. Because you'll see when we get into it, it's like, it's very loving the way that he talks to them, the way that he communicates with them. And they say that it's the first church he planted in Macedonia. Uh, so it's important to him. We need to think about these things when we, when we read what he's saying and how he's talking to them and what that means for us. All right. If you're with me still, say amen. amen. All right. So this Philippian church plant, that's kind of how I want to look at it this morning as a a church plant. We want to look at how this church got started. We want to remember that uh, uh, it's a Roman colony for almost 100 years. And what that means is when Paul brings the gospel there, people aren't lining up to say, yes, the gospel has come. It's an extremely hostile environment. It's as Roman as Roman gets. And they don't want to hear the gospel. And they don't want these Jews coming into this place trying to change everything that's been established right that's how this church plant has been started all right so if you've got your bibles flip over to acts chapter 16 and we're going to read about this church plant Acts 16 i'm going to start from verse 4 it says as they went through the cities they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at jerusalem remember we talked about that paul Heard from Peter, James, and John told them these decrees. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to to go again, or excuse me, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying come over to Macedonia and help us now after he had seen the vision immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them therefore sailing from Troas we ran a straight course to Samothras. and the next day we came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia and it's a colony We were staying in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay so she persuaded us now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation this she did for many days but Paul Greatly annoyed, he turned aside and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive Or observe then the multitude rose up together against them the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely having received such a charge he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks but at midnight say midnight Midnight. but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are here, we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. When it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent you, sent to let you go. Now further, or excuse me, now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed not. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them, brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out from the prison, entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. This is how you start a church. This is the Philippians, this is the Philippi church plant, and how it got started, and the things that God was doing. An amazing story, a lot of stuff going on. Let's go through it a little bit. I want to jump back up to the first part in, in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 4. The idea is that Paul and Barnabas are out there. Just before this, um, they get Timothy, and they're just going to be moving through and, and sharing the good news of Jesus with all these people verse 4 says they went through these cities they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily number one doctrine led to strength and growth when you think about a church plant when you think about what is it that God wants to do We read through all that stuff, and God's moving, and these miracles seem to be happening. But where did it actually start? It started with the doctrine. Paul and Silas didn't just go out there and say, well, this is how we feel about Jesus. This is what we think is going on. No, they actually had a doctrine that said, this is who he is. This is what he wants. This is the direction that we need to be going. And they delivered that to these people. And it says that what happened? The people, the churches were actually strengthened, and they grew. When Paul first left Jerusalem, what did they tell him? Preach the truth and remember the poor. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things, church. Preach the truth, remember the poor. It's gotta be something we understand, the actual truth, who is Jesus, what is his desire, what has he done for us, what what is the reason for the cross? Make sure we preach the truth, but actually love people, care for the poor, care for the broken, just like Jesus did. This doctrine is so important. How many Christians out there kind of have an understanding maybe of who Jesus is, but the actions don't follow? We don't see that like we talked about earlier, that generosity, that sacrifice, that care for others. I was watching uh, uh, one of these videos, probably on social media, which I shouldn't have been on, but it was a good one. This guy's riding his motorcycle, and he sees a lady um, in a wheelchair, one of the electronic wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs, and she seems like she's just stopped but he notices on his motorcycle that her wheels are caught on the on the off of the sidewalk and into the dirt and he pulls off and he's got one of those uh gary mountain bike um <laughs> GoPros on so he goes running up to the lady and and you don't hear any bottom so you can't even tell if they're talking he just grabs her and he starts moving it around he gets her out and then she hits the gas and takes off But the idea was that she was hurting she was she needed there was a need and it just reminded me like we don't even see need so many people were driving by her people were walking by her and we don't even see need anymore and what do the scriptures tell us care for the poor meet needs it's a broken world and people are hurting we need doctrine strong doctrine knowing who jesus is what he's done for us but we also need to care for the poor it says that that's how they came into the city and what came from that Strength and increase in numbers. Remember, we got to understand the word of God. and We've got to act upon it. So that's number one, doctrine. I'm going to jump down to verse number nine. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after you had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Number two, this church plant was spirit-led from the beginning. Paul and, and Silas are going to all these different Gentile cities. And, and if you listen to what, what I read earlier, it said that they wanted to go into a place and it says the spirit prevented them. We want to go to this city. This is where we want to plant. This is who we want to talk to. This is where we're going to set up our tent. This is going to be amazing. And the Spirit stops them. Instead of them saying, we're going to do what we want to do, they choose instead to be led by the Spirit. Paul gets a, uh, has a dream about a man from Macedonia saying, come help us, come speak to us. And listen to, to Luke, who is writing the book of Acts. He says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Think about that for a second. How many of you will de- devote your whole life to another man or woman's dream most of us would say oh when the lord gives me the same dream paul i'm down (laughs) paul gets a dream he wakes up i'm sure he tells timothy he tells he tells luke hey look god showed me last night this guy was in macedonia and he said come preach the gospel to us let's go they grab their stuff they pack up they say whatever we were planning to do that's done we're going to macedonia If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you're going to be a part of the church of God, you have to be willing to be led by the spirit. And if you read through the scriptures of God, that leading and that prompting doesn't always come directly to you. That's tough. Somebody say amen. Amen. Sometimes we're going to have contrary visions. Sometimes the, the wife is going to have a different vision than the husband. Sometimes the pastor is going to have a different vision than the leadership. Sometimes the parents are going to have a different vision than the kids. It's nothing new. But man, follow, follow the path and see the fruitfulness. Here we are. Here we are going into this book of, of Philippians. Words that have changed the the course of all of history right and these people got to be a part of it because they listened to paul they followed paul and paul followed the prompting of the spirit in a dream i'm gonna move on but one thing i also want to tell you guys is be prayerful and when god does give you a dream pray through it when you wake up how many of you you have dreams and like like it was so vivid and then within about three minutes of being wake up you completely forgot everything that you dreamed about isn't that so frustrating (laughs) wake up maybe take some notes Write down what it was. One of the things I've been talking to Mary about, there's been several times where she's told me, oh, I had this dream about this person. Within two or three days, we get a call saying this happened or that happened. I'm like, babe, you should have called. Text them, do something, just engage in some type of conversation. We don't have to think that we're all prophets and say, thus saith the Lord in my dream last night, he told me to call you and tell you to quit your job and move to Japan. We don't have to do all that, but just, just maybe call them and say, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything going on with you? I had a dream about you last night. And we'll see what God begins to do. I wonder what would have happened if Paul woke up and he didn't say anything about this dream. Where we would be, where this church would be that may not have been planted. So this church is spirit-led from the beginning. Let's go down to verse number 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul and when she and her household were baptized she begged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay so she persuaded us number three praying women were at the foundation of the move of God like ground level at the beginning it wasn't a group of men like saying we want the gospel and how can we be used we're going to lead our families we're going to serve god it was a bunch of women praying i told you about this being a a roman colony and having these these uh uh this culture so they couldn't even pray in the city they had to leave the city go outside the gates of the city and get down by the river where they could pray and they were willing to do it some of us won't even come to a prayer meeting Some of us won't come to a women's meeting, and we wonder why God is not speaking to us and moving and bringing these divine appointments like this particular one. Women have always been at the forefront of the move of God. Women, for some reason, typically have this sensitivity and this desire to get into the presence of God in a way that's different than men. We need to acknowledge that. We need to celebrate it. Men, we need to be challenged by it, but women, you need to embrace it and, and enter into it, pursue it. We always talk about, or I always feel this way, about Adam and Eve. I love the story because it says that, yeah, he took Adam's rib, but then he went off, and it seemed to be this personal and intimate time with Eve before he brought her back to Adam. And I think that there's something about that moment or that season or that, that space, that time that women could still enter into this, this one-on-one time with God in a unique way. So these women have to go out of the city. They're, they're, they're praying but it says that, uh, that Paul comes, they, it's the Sabbath, they're like, hey, we want to worship, we want to pray, and they also find themselves outside of the city, gathered by this river where people are offering prayer, right? So that takes me to number four. Lydia believed in God, but she received the word from Paul that actually led to her salvation and the salvation of others, and it led to their baptisms. So believe and receive, Right? So she's already, it says, trying to worship. It says that she believes. She's leaving the city. She's like, I want to pursue God. But why is it that the scripture tells us that she had to receive the words that were given by uh, Paul? Many of us, even as as jacked up as we were, we would say that, hey, we had some kind of spirituality. Every now and then when we were acting a fool, there was some kind of conviction (laughs) There was this idea that there's a greater power. How many of you right now have friends and family that say like, I serve a higher power. I know that there's a higher power. There's a spiritual something out there. There's something bigger than us, but they won't call him Jesus. They won't call him God and they will not surrender to him. It's almost like that's the picture that's painted here where they're saying, you know what? I don't know about Rome and I don't know about the gods that they're serving here, but I I feel something. Let's, Let's get down by this river. Let's begin to pray. Let's seek this God, whoever he may be. And what happens? Paul comes in to give clarity. Doctrine. Not just spirituality, but let me tell you about Jesus, the only one who saves. What I love about Lydia is that you get this idea that she believed and that she was already kind of pursuing God or seeking God, but she was humble enough to receive the word that Paul brought to her, and that's what actually led to salvation and baptism. It says for her and her whole family. Baptism happened quick here. I'm sure that it it happened quick, but at the same time, it was well understood. We know Paul. He didn't just say, let me throw you into some water. He explained to her why you need to be baptized, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And then she responded to that. Romans chapter six, verse three. Paul has this this communication about what it means to be baptized, what it means to truly become a believer. This is Romans six, three. Paul says to the church in Rome, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into christ jesus were baptized into death that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection paul's writing this to the romans to the church in rome But we have to believe that this is exactly what he's telling Lydia and these other women and their families when he meets them by this river they came out to pray they understand that there's a God but but Paul comes in and he says no I want to tell you about Jesus I want to tell you about salvation I want to tell you you even see it here he says that uh, not only into his death but into his resurrection listen Lydia you've got to completely die you've got to be baptized with Jesus into his death and then you'll be raised in newness of life part of this resurrection let me tell you about the resurrection I can see Paul there just preaching it. is <laughs> nothing new to him. We said that he's already been saved for almost 20 years and preaching this message locally when he rose up on these women at this river outside of Philippi. So she didn't just believe, she believed and she received the truth. And what happens? She's immediately baptized. Some of us need to get baptized. <laughs> Some of us need to understand, like, we've got the doctrine, we know the truth, we know who Jesus is, we believe, but we've got to go all in. She thought maybe she was just coming out to go to the river to pray like she had been doing for God knows how long, but on this day, something changed, she received something different, she responded to it, and then she got baptized, and she went home and told her family, they received the truth, and they got baptized. Why is it that we don't follow this example of what God has done and wants to continue to do? We often lead ourselves. We believe, but we don't receive the word. I'm not ready for baptism. I'm not ready to go all in. I don't really want to try to lead my family in this direction. I kind of want to let them make their own decisions. What are we talking about? (laughs) So these women and their family members are baptized, united to Christ and united to one another. So good. So they believed and received. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Paul says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and she cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God. They proclaim to us the way of salvation and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Number five is the culture clash. Prayer continues, but opposition is increased. It's the culture clash. When you plant a church, when a body of believers comes into being, there is going to be a culture clash. If you are gathering together, seeking the word of God, and praying together, please believe me, opposition is going to raise up against you, raise up against your families. We've been talking about and praying about uh, these life groups starting up again. And some of the families have been going through some things. And Mary, I think it was a couple days ago, we're in the house. She says, she says you, know why, you know why all these families are going through stuff? I said, no, why? She said, life groups are starting again. And I was like, oh yeah, opposition. <laughs> when you want to do something for God, when you want to seek God, there's going to be this opposition that um, rises up against you. It's a culture clash. Which culture are we going to live under? which kingdom rule is going to reign supreme. I love that this, this girl with this spirit of divination, she's, she's saying these things about Paul and about Silas that are actually true, but Paul's frustrated about it. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there is a time where like you've got to be crazy bold and you've got to like walk through the street with the cross on your shoulder and like you know what i mean like it's all about jesus but those times are usually few and far between like the boldness and the confidence yes but it should be in conversation you should actually be trying to bring people to christ paul's saying you, we are telling the truth about jesus and we do come to tell you the, the the way of salvation but i don't need you screaming to everybody looking all crazy acting all crazy i'm trying to meet with these people and actually talk them through what this actually means and you are messing things up for me spirit come out of her There are some believers who think that that's boldness and that's confidence in God, and that's the only way to reach people, but I would say that they lack maturity and lack wisdom. And it seems like that's what Paul is saying here, too, right? I don't need you to announce for me who I am and what I came to do. I came spirit led with the presence of God, and He is going to do what He wants to do here. 1 Corinthians 16 7, Paul again writing to the church in Corinth. um, We'll get back to the map, but. You guys open your bibles they have them in the back of your bible look at all these cities so when you're reading through these scriptures think of who he's writing to and what he's saying but first corinthians 16 7 paul says i do not wish to see you now on the way but i hope to stay a while with you if the lord permits but i will tarry in ephesus until pentecost for a great and effective door is open to me and there are many adversaries culture clash listen to what paul's saying think about these different churches Paul is, is saying, writing to the church in Corinth, he's saying, I want to come there, but I'm not coming now. I want to be able to stay with you in fellowship. I'm going to stay in Ephesus, in Ephesians, right? The, 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 the book of Ephesians. I'm going to stay in Ephesus. Why? Because the spirit led me here. He's opened a door. He's moving. God is on the move. And you know how I know God is on the move here? Because there's a ton of adversaries. There's a ton of op- uh, opposition. I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. Why? Because there's a major culture clash going on here right now. If you're not experiencing any kind of culture clash in your walk with God right now, why not? Are we conforming to the culture of the world when we should be kingdom culture people and actually be clashing with the culture of the world? Paul says this is part of what it means to be part of the body of God, the body of Christ, a true church, is to be experiencing a culture clash. We see the same thing here uh, in Philippi. In many of the Roman cities, they had prophetesses, right? So if you read through your scriptures, that shouldn't be surprising to us. Um, Even in the kingdom of God, God has prophetesses. Prophets and prophetesses. Men and women who prophesy, who hear from God, uh, know the word of God, have been spoken to and given visions from God, and then they share those with the people of God, right? So in Rome, they had Roman prophetesses and they would divine people's future, fortune tellers. That's what it said earlier in this chapter, right? And their masters were these pagan priests. So they would use these women to get this information. They would interpret it, right? Whatever they divine, and then they would sell this to the people uh, that were coming to get their fortunes told, right? I said this earlier, but they la- they made a lot of money doing this, and we can see in our story that they were pretty accurate, <laughs> like. It should be a little bit surprising to us like they knew exactly who Paul and Silas were. They knew that they were from God and they knew that they were leading people down the way of salvation. So just imagine how many other people were coming to them and they're like, you're going to meet a man next week. You're going to come into some money real soon. You need to take that job. Like this this is the kind of fortune telling that they're doing and you know why they're making a lot of money because they're accurate. I don't know about the rest of you, but do you ever drive by these like palm reading places and tarot card reading places? And the thought that comes into my mind is like, how are they open? <laughs> like I know how much rent on a building cost. You're telling me that there's enough people coming to this little store, this little shop to hear you tell their future and they keep coming back. How is that possible? <laughs> and then I read the scriptures and I'm like, oh yeah, it's real they're probably giving them some pretty decent information. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible doesn't tell us that it's not real and don't worry about it. He says it's real and avoid it. Stay away from it, do not tamper with it, do not play with it. Culture clash. What kind of prophet do you want? Whose word is it that we want to hear? I talked earlier about this being a Roman colony for almost 100 years because this new Christian culture is colliding with this deeply rooted Roman culture. But the power of the new is clearly being put on display, right? It's new, it's small, it's contrary, and it's clashing with their Roman culture, but there's power in it. Paul turns and he says to this spirit, come out of her right now, and the spirit has to obey. There has always been, there will always be a culture clash between true Christianity and any nation and any culture where it's preached. That's just the way it works. Typically, typically, Christians start off like they did here in Philippi, a very small group that is outnumbered and often oppressed. But the power of God and true believers, along with sound doctrine and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it will always win. It doesn't matter if you're two or three people, five or ten people, a hundred people. If you have the Spirit of God, if you know the Word of God, right, you will win over that culture, whatever it is. You'll be victorious. Holy Spirit always prevails. But there has to be a clash. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Test yourself this week, this month, this season, and see if you're clashing at all. If there's any kind of clash with the other parents that, with, uh, where your kids go to school. If there's any kind of clash with the other parents where your kids play sports. If there's any kind of clash at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm not saying that we should go in there starting mess. <laughs> this Thanksgiving is about Jesus, we don't need this turkey. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's how we should enter in. but. When somebody says something, are you, are you just going to receive that and take it like it's no big deal or are you going to try to figure out, no, actually I feel a little bit differently about that. <laughs> no, actually you know what I believe. Why is it that people in the world are so quick to tell everybody what they believe and how they think and why they feel the way that they feel and Christians are sitting silently, no culture clash. Say move on. All right. <laughs> Verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, brought them to the magistrates, said these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. They said their culture ain't our culture. They're they're talking to us about all this Jewish stuff and this God that they have. They're disturbing the peace. Uh, read through and studied some of this stuff. What they actually tried to charge them with was disturbing the peace. (laughs) Man, some Christians should be in trouble for disturbing the peace. The status quo. The multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods. Verse 23, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, everyone's chains were loose. The keeper of the prison awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled. He drew his sword, He's about to kill himself, and Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house or in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house. He set food before them. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Number six, worship. Worship. What a church (laughs) plan. Worship. Worship declares and stirs up joy. Let me say that again. Worship declares and stirs up joy. This morning I had to open my, my notes back up and, and write some stuff at this point because we were in worship and I was like, it's happening. <laughs> this is my notes. I know we're gonna be talking about this, but I'm experiencing it. It's not just doctrine and knowledge. It's actual lived out experience. Worship stirs up joy. It declares that you're a man or woman of joy. We sang earlier, I raise a, I'll raise a hallelujah for my weapon is a melody. Think about Paul and Silas in prison, and they—that this song wasn't written yet—but they might have got a prophetic word, and they were in there talking about. I'll raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Can you imagine them? They have joy, and these other prisoners are listening. Like, what is wrong with these dudes? Don't they know we're in prison? We sang another song this morning. We said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Can you see them saying, like, we're free. We got joy. We're going to sing. It's midnight. We ain't, it ain't time to go to bed. Paul's like, Silas, give me that beat. You know the one. <laughs> and they start worshiping. Because they're free. I don't know about the rest of you, but I felt joy begin to bubble up in me when we, when we began to worship i saw sandra over here at the altar i was like nope she ain't gonna be the only one i'm going (laughs) y'all can stay in your seat if you want to but i got that joy in my heart i'm trying to get close to the presence of god i'm trying to be at the altar at his feet joy is bubbling up in us this ain't something we just talk about this is the scripture this is what it means to be a son or daughter of god we worship paul and silas are not worshiping because they're happy somebody say amen they're worshiping because they know God, and to know God is to be in a state of freedom, to be in a state of joy. It's characterized by joy. If you're the type of person that worships when you're happy, and then you don't sing, and you don't move when you're sad, you're missing what, what, joy, or what worship actually is, and what's available to you in worship. It's actually, if God says that, that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, read through the Beatitudes in Matthew, I believe, chapter 5. You would be thinking to yourself, if I'm broken, if my heart is hurting, if I'm suffering, God actually has his eye upon me. And if I enter into worship, he will meet me with joy. We should be worshiping more so when we're hurting and broken and in prison like Paul and Silas are. With high expectations of being reminded and stirring up joy within ourselves. Joy can also be uh, characterized by a peace that surpasses understanding. How many of you have heard that scripture before? A peace that surpasses understanding. I want you to think about it like this now. The people who are there watching uh, and listening to Paul and Silas, that's where they're at. We don't understand why these people, these men have peace and why these men have joy. Because it's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's only for those who are filled with the spirit of God and the spirit of the world cannot understand it. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read just two verses, verse 9 and 10. The, back, the background of this is um, the children of Israel have been in captivity and they've come out now. They've been allowed to, you guys know Nehemiah, rebuild the wall. They've got the temple built again. They're going to start serving God when they have not been serving God or following his word for a long time. And um, Ezra is the priest and he begins to read, just read the scriptures to them. It's not like it was a message preached or there was something specific. All the people are gathered. They're coming back from captivity. And Ezra, the priest, just starts reading the scriptures and they begin to weep. They begin to cry because they're like, we've been away from God so long. We've been away from the word so long. We've been away from church so long. We've been away from Israel so long. We haven't had a temple in so long. Look how far we've fallen. And they start weeping. This is what Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9 says. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portion to those for whom nothing is prepared. Remember the poor? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy Of the Lord is your strength. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I know that we have been enslaved. I know that we've been in captivity and I know that it's our own fault because we haven't followed the word of God and we haven't been reading or preaching the word of God. He says, but it's okay. We are in a state of joy. The fact that we know God and we are his people, it doesn't matter what our current situation is. We should be rejoicing because we have the joy of the Lord. That is our strength, not in us performing perfectly, but in us being the children of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It don't matter what your circumstances are. When we leave this place every Sunday, the rest of the week, go to your life group, talk to your friends, talk to your family, work through your problems, work through your hurts, work through your pains. When you come into this place, remember who you are and that you stand in victory and let's worship God. Let's rejoice for that. These people were not happy, but but worship breaks bondage and it breaks oppression. Worship breaks bondage and it breaks oppression. They start worshiping and that's when the chains fall off. That's when the oppression is removed. They're being oppressed, they're being depressed, they're being imprisoned, and it's not that they got out and they got their freedom, it's that they worshiped and those things were broken off of them. It's probably my favorite part of the story because no one leaves their cells. Let that have been me. Cha-ching, bam! Leave my wife and kids behind, y'all better run, we're free! You guys, you know, you know you're the same way. As soon as you get an opportunity to get out of like whatever situation you find yourself in and that oppression and that feeling like, I'm never gonna get out of this. As soon as that door cracks a little bit, bam, and we're gone. But here's Paul and Silas chilling in the cell with no, with no shackles on and the door's wide open. What's the picture God is trying to paint here? The picture is that even though um, Rome and the guards and the world thought that they were prisoners. The truth was that they were already free before the shackles came off and the doors opened. These are our prisoners. We control them. We own them. They can't do anything. They have no freedom. Anything they want, they have to get it from us. They're bound in servitude, guilty. Shackles come off, doors come open, and they say, we're already free. You have no power over us. You have no authority over us. We were free when we came in here. We're free while we stay here. And we'll be free when we leave here. You know what worship does? It reminds us that we're already free. Sometimes we come in here bound. Sometimes we come in here feeling convicted. Sometimes rightfully so, but... but there's this different space that we get to where we feel condemned when we come into this place and when we worship we remember i'm already free i'm already forgiven god is going to continue to set me free god is going to continue to heal me and transform me however i don't have to wait for that to understand that i'm already free i may look like i'm in a cell i may look like i'm shackled but in christ i'm free indeed i think that was our last song right Number seven, seeking sinners and regular sinners got saved. (laughs) There's two different types of sinners, apparently. Seeking sinners and regular sinners got saved in our story here. If you go back to Lydia and her friends, her family, they were seeking, already believing that there was God and that they needed to somehow reach him and find him and pray to him, right? But she still needed jesus and when she received him that's when she was actually saved and baptized but she was a seeker the jailer was not seeking god but god wanted to save him and his family too when a church gets planted this is what happens people from all different types of uh, walks of life all different circumstances some who are already a little bit spiritual and looking for something and some who are stone cold sinners like paul said i was a chief among sinners but everybody gets saved when a true church is planted lydia's out there seeking and god says to paul go down there to the river you're going to see this woman and then paul probably thinks well we know paul doesn't think this but we would think getting arrested is the last thing that god would have in store for us but it's through that that god reaches this jailer that he also wanted to get saved This is the Philippian church plan. To the world, it might look ugly. To our Californian, Orange County sensibilities, it might not look like the plan of God. But man, we gotta read the scriptures. People from all different walks of life, backgrounds, colors, nations, upbringings should be getting saved when a true church is planted. The statement that all these so-called prisoners make to the jailer by not fleeing, right? He's ready to kill himself. They're saying, brother, you think that we're the prisoners and you're free, but the truth is we are free and you're the prisoner. That's what they're saying to him. He's got a sword out, he's ready to kill himself. And they're like, we gotta change your whole perspective we're about to have a culture clash up in this prison. <laughs> you think you're free and we're prisoners. No, we're free. You're the prisoner. Let us tell you why. This jailer was willing to, can, to kill himself rather than potentially end up in prison himself. Think about that for a second. He knows if the prisoners escape, he's either going to be killed or he's going to be arrested himself. And it's so bad to him to think of being in prison that he'd rather die and kill himself, not even give the chance of living. He'd rather kill himself and can't you just see paul telling him hey listen i i used to i used to imprison people imagine that conversation between paul and him you know i used to be like you track people down hold them in prison hold them accountable for believing in jesus but let me tell you i met him and this is what happened to me the jailers ask him, What do I have to do to be saved? Because if you guys are willing to stay in prison where it's the last place I would ever want to be, you have something that I don't have and I want it. And they tell him about Jesus. He surrenders his life to Jesus. He gets saved. His family gets saved. And what happened? Immediate baptism. Get baptized. Go all in. All right, I'm going to bring this to the close. There's only one more point. Sigh of relief, everybody. However, this is a good time to remind everyone of the big picture that we're trying to paint here this morning. We're starting our our series on Philippians and all those those goals that we talked about earlier. But I want you to see who these people are and what this church actually is, uh, who Paul is to this church, who this church is to Paul, how it was birthed. People come into the church now and they don't remember and they don't have any context for Mary and I meeting in our house with non believers for a long time. They don't have any context for us uh, renting a space from another church down the street, and it was their children's church room, so I'm trying to preach, and I have these giant cartoon kids behind me everywhere. Outreaching and evangelizing and talking to people on the streets. I think when we when we get a little bit of that context, we don't need a, a full history lesson about our church and, and Mary and I, but a little bit of that context helps us understand what you're hearing today. So when we read through Philippians, a little bit of this context helps us understand why Paul was saying what he was saying, where it's coming from, how they would have received it and why it's so important. So this church, remember, big picture, it was burst by a spirit led entry into the city of Philippi. It was birthed with a priority of sound doctrine. Like we're gonna go in there and and preach the truth no matter if they wanna hear it or not. It was birthed by praying women. I'm trying to think back, but I don't even really need to think to last Friday. We were outnumbered. The men were outnumbered by women because we're always outnumbered by the women at prayer. I'm not even gonna be mad about it anymore. I'm just gonna start calling you guys Lydia. (laughs) Pray, pray, please pray salvations and baptisms of people from all walks of life in this church that's how it was birthed we're talking about the first few days here it was birthed with casting out of demons huh? don't be afraid of that there's no there's no area i'm sorry if you've never heard this before but there's no great area there is the spirit of god and then there's the spirit of the enemy if we are doing things that are that are evil it is by the spirits of evil demons and the devil. There's no gray area. I'd love to look back and say, you know what, I was just kind of going the wrong direction, making some bad decisions. No, I was under the rule of Satan doing what he wanted me to do when he he wanted me to do it. And I loved every second of it because I did not have the spirit of God alive in my life. And anybody who's still living that way is under the possession and sway of the enemy. And it needs to be cast out. It cannot be played with or toyed with. That's why when this church is planted, Paul doesn't say, hey, would you mind just taking that somewhere else? No, he cast this demon out of this girl, and she's uh, delivered from the demon immediately. That's how this church is birthed. When we look at people, we don't necessarily have to tell them, you're demon-possessed, but if you don't have that kind of seriousness about what challenge these people are going through, you will not be victorious. it's nothing to play with it's nothing to take lightly that's how this church was birthed casting out of demons this church was also birthed in philippi with worship it wasn't something that they got to later when we planted our church we did cd worship why because we could have said let's pay for a band or let's wait till people learn instruments no we're going to put on a song that somebody else sang and we're just going to sing louder than they sing why because a church is birthed in worship if you don't worship you ain't a church If you don't worship, forgive me for this, but you ain't a Christian. If you know what he did on the cross, if you know that he came from heaven to save you, and you are not humbled by that and fall before him and lift up your voice and say to him, I don't care what this sounds like to the world. I know it sounds so good to you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't need to know the words of the song. Close your eyes and say, thank you, Jesus. I love you as many times as you want to. Worship him. He deserves it. And then this church was birthed with joy that went beyond circumstances. All right, so we're going to see what happens here as we go through Philippians, and we'll see what Paul has to say 10 years later. But let's finish up this, this uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, the birth of this church. Last few verses here, verse 35. When it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Loose, or excuse me, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. We are uncondemned Romans. And have, they've thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So good. Paul's like, oh, no, no, no. You ain't just going to arrest me, throw me in prison, beat me like I stole something, and then in the middle of the night, you wanna talk amongst yourselves and then send somebody to send us out secretly? Nope, nope. Go tell them to come over here themselves. I'ma sit right here until they come and apologize for what they did to me and then let me out. Once again, I'd have been running already. You see this confidence they have in God? They know who they are. They know what's right and wrong. They know that they're not guilty. And they're not afraid to hold other people accountable for their behavior. I think this is a great ending to this story and this church plan because the plot kind of thickens here in Philippi. All this stuff was happening to them and nobody knew that Paul was a Roman citizen. Remember when we started and I said that this is a Roman colony, which means that they had laws that needed to be abided by. Citizens have rights that non-citizens don't have, right? There's a process and Paul being a Roman citizen all of these things uh, were illegal that they did to them and nobody knows it until the end. And they're all surprised. Some of you may have seen something similar recently in all the craziness going on. I saw a video of, there's a black man coming out of his house and he's putting stuff into a van and the police come and they uh, detain him, arrest him, put him in handcuffs. And then within a few minutes they find out this dude is a doctor and he's putting medical supplies into his van to take to a clinic. So another one of another black man who was sitting in front of a restaurant with his friends, the police come, arrest him, detain him, and when they start going through his wallet, they find out this dude is an FBI agent. <laughs> and that same feeling of like, we don't mess up here, is what's happening here in, in, in uh, Philippi with Paul and Silas. They think that these are just regular Jews from some other city and nobody's gonna care and it's not gonna be a big deal. And when they say we are Roman citizens, we have rights that you have violated. The magistrates and the leaders, they don't just say no big deal. They come running to the prison. We're sorry, please just leave. Don't take this any further. So whether you're that black doctor or FBI agent, whether you're Paul and Silas, If we're honest there's kind of this good feeling when these tables are turned and you feel like you wanted to oppress me and now you you wanted to um, jail me and now you're the one that's at risk you wanted me to live in fear but now you're the one who's living in fear for honest there's probably a little bit of a good feeling there do you know what feels better knowing that you're a citizen of heaven and justice is always going to be done. See, the reason why they were so scared is that in Rome, if something like this happens to you, you can appeal to Caesar. You can say, Caesar, look what has happened to me. You hold everybody accountable. I am a Roman citizen. But in the kingdom of heaven, we don't appeal to whoever the Caesar of the day is, your councilman or woman. You're president. You don't need to appeal to anybody on a higher level. You go straight to Jesus. I'm a citizen of heaven, and Jesus has already declared justice will be done. No matter what. You have so much peace in that. That's the kind of peace that Paul, he didn't even say it when he got arrested. He could have said, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. This is illegal. You will not arrest me. He didn't even care. You can take us down there if you want to. I know who my king is. You know what's even better than that? It's not just that justice is going to be served at some point. Real believers, real citizens of the kingdom of heaven, they want to see their oppressors become their brothers and their sisters. They want to see those who are trying to inflict fear, not have to live in fear themselves, but to be delivered. Right? That's what Paul wants. He goes into that place and he sees it actually happen. The jailer becomes his brother. The jailer's friends and family get saved. Paul understood this. So let's look at the last verse. They've been released. They've been told to go. They they leave. Verse 40, and our last point. When they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. Number eight, our last one, is community fellowship. Paul and Silas could have left. They were on their missionary journey. They had other things to do in other places. Maybe they felt like they were called to be. But they went back to Lydia's house and they talked about what happened. They worshiped together. They shared testimonies with one another and they encouraged each other. Community fellowship is so important. When a church is planted, it's not just about one and done it's not just about hey did we give them the doctrine and they go on about their business they were all connected already right this this jailer that got saved you know what church he became a part of the one at Lydia's house (laughs) think about They leave, they get get set free, and they're they're gonna leave out of town. They go back to Lydia's house. You see Lydia in the house. You see these other women who were out there praying with her that got saved. You see her family who's given their life to Jesus and got baptized. Paul and Silas come in with Timothy. Then all of a sudden, this jailer comes in with his family and their kids. These people that would never have been together. Community, unity in Jesus. That's how the church is planted. And every piece along the way was so important. Worship, joy, doctrine salvation baptism casting out of demons and where does that come from i guess now it's been 20 years before when the church is birthed in acts chapter 2 verse 44 and isaiah you can come acts 2 44 says now all who believed were together they had all things in common They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need and continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Twenty years later, after this day of Pentecost, right? which is uh, 49 days after Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is birthed, right? 20 years later, here's Paul in Philippi talking to these ladies and another church is birthed. And they broke bread from house to house. They continued in the doctrine. They shared with one another and met each other's deeds. You know what it must have been like for that, that uh, Philippian jailer who became a Christian And was beginning to meet with this group of people you know how many friends he lost probably lost his job probably lost everything you know who was supporting him lydia you know who was protecting lydia and the the rest of the church that jailer you see how it works see how the kingdom continues to grow having everything in common making sure that no one has a need and god bringing diversity but creating unity What was church for you before you came in here today? I hope it's more than it was now. I hope the vision is more clear. I hope we're excited to get into the rest of Philippians. I say the rest, we haven't even started yet. (laughs) Next week, Philippians chapter one, we're gonna get into it. But now we know about this church planted This many years, almost 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, but the work is still going forward. We understand that this letter we're about to go into was written even another 10 years after that to this church that started with a few believers with faith and has grown into something in multiple locations with some history and some maturity and some longevity. That's how the first church was planted. That's how the church in Philippi was planted. That's how the way in Brea was planted. Let's stand. Hallelujah, Lord. We're going to pray first and foremost for salvation. So would you guys just close your eyes for a second? One of the reasons we ask you to close your eyes many of you have experienced this where there's something about it whether we bow our heads close our eyes we drop down to our knees there's something about what we do physically that has a spiritual impact Shared with the church one time that uh reading the book and it talked about we know that we're in space we know that we're in time we know that you know when our eyes are open we can see the person next to us we can See the stage or we can see something in it and it gives us a point of reference for where they are and where we are and it kind of roots us or grounds us in this physical world but when we close our eyes we could be anywhere we could be at the very throne of god we could be at the feet of jesus because the only point of reference we have is what's going on inside of us in our hearts and in our minds and our souls and our spirits So as we close our eyes, I want you to picture yourself in the presence of Jesus. Every time a church has been planted or the work of God is moving forward, it's because somebody who knows Jesus has brought that truth to people who don't know Him yet. And there's differing degrees, there's there's women like Lydia who have a spirituality, understand God, want to worship Him, want to seek Him, but they still don't have Jesus. So they're not saved. They're not baptized. They're not part of the family of God. There's others like many of us, myself included, who were so far from God, working for the enemy, maybe like this jailer. But the same thing happens. The truth of God comes, the word of God comes, and they receive it and they respond to it. And that's how they enter into the kingdom. If you're here in this place, the heads are bowed, the eyes are closed, we're we're envisioning ourselves in the presence of Jesus. He says, where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. He's in this place, he's close to you, he's not far. He's been seeking you. You may have thought that you came into this place like Lydia, coming to worship and coming to pray. You may know in your heart that like the jailer, you're far from God, but he comes to you. And this morning he says, will you respond to my son? You've heard that you're a sinner. You've heard that he came out of heaven to pay the price. The debt that you owe for every single sin is death, but he came to die for you. All you have to do is believe that you're a sinner, that God loves you and wants to save you, that Jesus died for your sins. The confirmation is that he rose from the dead And he says that he will confirm that for you when you respond by sending his Holy Spirit to live in your heart. You won't have to trust me or anybody else. You will know that something is inside of you that was not there before. But you've got to ask. You've got to repent. You've got to say, I want to be saved. So our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. If that's you, a little bit of spirituality, maybe like Lydia, or you know that you're just in sin, like me, like that jailer, Would you raise your hand if you want to respond to Jesus? They responded. They were saved.